Hey, this is Eugene Rapkin, and you're listening to the Style Zeitgeist Podcast. Hi, everyone. I'm here with uh, Filippo Hashemi. He is uh, one of the most interesting journalists I've had the pleasure to know and to work with. Uh, he writes for various publications, and he also consults. And Philippe, as I promised you, I'll be bringing on people who are opinionated and intelligent, and Philippe is certainly one of them. And we've had many a discussion uh, about fashion over the years, and I thought, hmm, who better to bring on than to discuss this uh, fashion season just that just ended pretty much. And that, I mean, there are a couple of shows coming out of Tokyo, but pretty much it's over. And uh, so, Philip, Philip, uh, sorry, what's your uh, overall take? Well, first of all, fashion? first of all, on Eugene, it. thank you so much for this uh, glowing introduction. I'm uh, <laughs> very happy to be uh, on your podcast series, to be part of it. That's really, really flattering. So I'm, you know, thankful for that and very honored. Uh, what do I think about the fashion season? Well. Um, it's been, I would say, quite disappointing to see that uh, brands with, you know, uh, budgets and possibilities did not exploit that moment to turn it into something really significant. And I was also a bit, uh, a bit sad because I was expecting some designers to address the current moment we are living in. And yeah. it, and instead of seeing that, I saw a lot of escapist collections and uh, models walking through parks, <laughs> woods, gardens, like this idea right. of, a, of a perfect, uh, faraway tropical island where we're all going to be safe and everything. And I just didn't buy that. I didn't buy yeah. into this whole idea. Uh, and for me, I mean, the, the biggest Paris action was, in fact, in Venice with uh, Rico, mm -hmm. Rico Owens' show which yeah. for me was like a brilliant combination of, uh, of reality and uh, looking forward, you know, like marching on and, and embracing the future. And I found that that's, that was really clever on his part to, uh, to do this. Yeah. Well, let, let's get into that since, you know, we both thought that, I think it's safe to say we both thought it's the best show of the season. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Uh, and really that's not an exaggeration. I feel like Rick is the last modernist left standing, you know, and, uh, and the last person who, last designer who really goes his own way, really without uh, external uh, pressure. Mm-hmm. To, to do something, yeah. to do something commercial or to do something that people want. And that's, I guess, that's the crux of the thing. He's not giving people what they want. He is giving them what they don't know they want or what he simply thinks he does. And it's up to the audience to accept it or not. Definitely. And I think what makes the work so engaging and, and rich is all these facets that uh, you get to experience in his show because you have so many layers of understanding and he tackles so many different things at the same time. Besides, you know, of course, sharing his own vision for that season. 
but also I felt that uh, mask models, the way he did masks, for example, I thought was brilliant, you know, and yeah. very, very creative, very elegant, very stylish, but at the same time incorporating our context into the clothes and into uh into his presentation and i found that very powerful because you know you it i don't know it requires a, a lot of courage a lot of guts to do that instead of yeah. pretending that nothing is going on to actually right. fully address it to confront that reality heads on the way that he did mm -hmm. you know and there was something very confident and very fierce about his models and that gave me a very good feeling about the future and about him as well, you know, that he was kind of um, rising up to the challenge of what we are living today. Yeah, absolutely. And and on, I really loved what you said. And it's it's an interesting conundrum because on the one hand, fashion is about exaggeration, and it is a sort of an escape. And with Rick, you always get a fantasy, but it is but. So there is that element of fantasy, but it's not escapist. Like, yeah, we're just going to stroll through Luxembourg Gardens while the world is falling apart. Yeah. <laughs> you know? No, no, you're definitely right. I think there's no escapism. There is a lot of imagination. And he obviously has his own world. And, you know, that's uh, you, you can't take that away from him. So whatever he does, he's going to put his stamp on it. But at the yeah. same time, uh, you're absolutely right when you're saying that he um, he incorporates, I think, elements of reality and uh, things that are going on, uh, you know, the zeitgeist uh, into yeah. into the work. But he does it in a very personal and subtle way, and I think that's what makes him such a such a great designer. And you know, he's a he's a powerful, independent voice, and um, you know, I, I think on a, on a completely different level, I also felt that. What John Galliano did for Margiela this season, which was a documentary, but also a fiction, was engaging and interesting because he um, tried to really share the process of making a collection with his audience. And he did it in a creative way. And it was, again, this kind of mix of fiction and fact, you know, and it's like the two things together, which in a way is also what Rick does. I mean, there's always something mm -hmm. very grounded in the work, but yeah. at the same time, it's visionary and it's forward looking. Exactly, exactly. And I mean, I know we've discussed it before the tragedy of contemporary fashion that there are fewer and fewer auteurs out there that really have a signature and a voice and go their own way and produce and don't produce something that's completely interchangeable. Yeah, I think, you know, what we're witnessing right now, and that's kind of the message also I got from Paris, is obviously a lot of fear and insecurity as to what should be done, you know, and yeah. what sort of um, way fashion should be. And uh, And I think most people really went for the safe side, you know, that's, yeah. what, you know, and that's what made it uh, disappointing, I think, in, yeah. in many yeah. ways. I was, oh, yeah, you I know? was especially, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, there was no, I, I would have expected designers to be bold at this time and to, you know, uh, make a strong statement about not only uh, our reality, but also the future of fashion and to really give us some hope and give us something strong 
But what yeah. I saw was sort of like a retreat into this kind of cliched fantasy mm-hmm. that we've seen so many times before. And that's really not what I expect from fashion, you know? So there's also a little yeah. bit of a, of an irritation with that, that we're yeah. not, we're not really getting what we are expecting or what we're looking for. Mm. I wonder in a way if, you know, there was also, there is always grit and dirt about Rick, uh, that he obviously makes glamorous, but I want, you know, and, and I've always loved it about them. And that's what also has always given me an element of reality. Um, and I wonder if part of what you're saying is this designers from big houses being ensconced in their luxurious, whatever bunkers, I imagine, you know, and, uh, figuratively speaking, but it's always been that way. You know, they're so ensconced in their own escapist worlds in, in luxury of, you know, whether it's Rome or Paris or Milan, you know, then they're not pounding the pavement, so to speak. And I, and I want, even though they're reading the news, just like everyone else, I hope, you know, maybe it's that. It's just like, it's always been a bubble, this this luxury bubble, and it has taken someone from an environment who grew up the way Rick grew up or the way Alexander McQueen grew up, you know, like, to bring that into high fashion. I think it is a a crucial point that you're making because this kind of... uh distanciation from reality and a way this sort of attitude that you are ignoring what's going on is is not going to cut it anymore you know so i feel that um it's a tricky act for luxury because you know luxury is also about an ideal and it's also about a sort of idolized lifestyle if you wish but uh, these brands will also need to address the the mentality and desires of a younger customer. And, uh, you know, a lot of younger people don't care about luxury. You know, they couldn't, yeah. care, they couldn't care less. It does not speak to them. So I think there, there's a little bit of this like ivory tower uh, mentality mm-hmm. still. But also what I would like to say about luxury today is that unfortunately for all these big groups, you know, the clothes don't matter. We know what matters, you know, right. it's, it's the sneakers yeah. and it's the bags. That's, yes, that's yeah. you know, yeah. that's yeah. the that's the business. So now sure. the clothing has become the accessory of the accessories. That's exactly. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're going a bit like Veblen now, you know, with, with this. But <laughs> yeah. it, it not it, a bit. It's full uh, on, yeah, yeah, full on, <laughs> full on accessory, full on accessory. But it's true, you know, and I, I, that was quite for me quite apparent in Givenchy's collection, for example, mm-hmm. which was which really had a heavy focus on the bags. You know, yeah. uh, it was all about the hardware on the bags and, and the very sort of big sizes and things like that. So I'm, I'm kind of like questioning the relevance of the clothes. I mean, who's buying these clothes? Who's wearing them? Same for Louis Vuitton. I think most mm-hmm. of the, most of the collection, the runway collection won't even make it to the stores, you know? So oh, what, yeah. what is that all about? And, and I'm getting yeah. also increasingly frustrated with that sort of vision of fashion. You know, mm-hmm. which, which again, as you said, is, is removed from reality and is removed from our pavements, you know, and what we yeah. look at every day. Yeah, definitely. And, and it's funny, you would think like, well, okay, let, this is the reality, you know, you're selling logo t-shirts and sneakers and bags and whatnot. Why not make your 
runway the most exciting thing in a, possible in a way you, it should give you an opportunity to be unfettered from commercial constraints because you got all the commercial crap here it's kind of like what i feel like Comme de garçon is doing you know she's got the play t-shirts she's got the sneakers she's got the over street market she's got the perfume and ray is like free to do what you know that that unfetters her from commercial constraints on the runway and i thought why, why, why don't you want to do that? Why won't other designers do that? And I was especially disappointed in Valentino this season. And the last collection was so strong mm -hmm. and so fierce and so powerful. And this was just like an embarrassment. The, you know, these like freely romantic gowns that are so not modern and then you'll have like a logoed valentino hoodie on top of it. like like what are you doing <laughs> yeah definitely i think you know that was a bit of a, a downer for sure the the valentino show but in a way i guess what's going on with all these you know mega brands is that the the end consumer uh is not that demanding either you know, mm -hmm. so it makes a lot of the brands uh, complacent. And I think it makes some of the design teams also a bit lazy. So they get they get away with copying, they get away with copy pasting, they get away with reducing design to its bare minimum. And I think that's also showing today uh, the impoverishment of fashion as a language, mm -hmm. you know, that maybe the fashion that we loved uh, when we were growing up had a much more complex vocabulary and uh, a much more complex way to, to present itself. And now I feel that fashion has been reduced to, you know, hoodies, T-shirts, logos. It's, it's really sad. I find, yeah. that, I find that quite crushing. And it must be crushing for independent designers that have to work twice as hard to exist and to justify their place within that system. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and that's what I said in the recent opinion piece that I wrote that, you know, fashion is not art, it's entertainment. And and that's where, because, you know, we're talking about, for both of us, our golden era where fashion really tried to be art, you know, as much as possible. And if we judge it on that merit, it's now it's entertainment. It's mass entertainment, where a logo t-shirt is an equivalent of, you know, uh, a soap opera <laughs> or whatnot. But, you know, may, it can be that fashion becomes closer to art when it engages with reality in a full way. I mean, it's a little bit difficult to explain, but uh, the fashion that, you know, I, I really believe that uh, the more commercial fashion becomes, the more forgettable it is, you know? Mm -hmm. And if I think of a designer, for example, like Miguel, Miguel Adrover, you know, yeah. whose work I really admire, I can really see the impact uh, of what he did. And of course, it was never a commercial success, but the, the kind of uh, themes that he tackles and his strength and his voice and the fact that he was uh, controversial, but also uh, looking out for uh, a new way to do things, you know? Yeah, uh, that's also what makes the kind of fashion that I love, you know, and mm -hmm. so the fashion that engages with um, with society, with history, 
with our future, with the way we've been doing things, fashion that tries to question, deconstruct, you know, all these things yeah. that are going on. And of course, like the king of that was Mar Martin Margiela. I mean, he was definitely, yeah. you know, the one who turned fashion inside out, so to speak, and, and really raised all these questions. So that kind of uh, art thing, it can only happen if fashion is substantial. And if fashion yeah. really, you know, gets under our skin, otherwise it's never mm -hmm. going to happen. Otherwise it's, mm -hmm. it's just going to be closed and it's going to be Dior mm -hmm. and Isabelle Marron, <laughs> everything else, you <laughs> yeah. know? Yeah. So, uh, and that, that's kind of depressing because that's not the world I want to live in. I don't want to live Absolutely. in, you know? And, uh, yeah, I, I just feel that we need to wake up. Uh, you know, as uh, as people working in this industry, mm -hmm. we, we it's sort of a wake up call to realize what we have done with fashion and how yeah. we have mishandled it for so long. And now maybe we need yeah. to, you know, uh, yeah. yeah, just uh, put it back together. Or just, I don't know, just repair it. You know, repair absolutely repair yeah. the industry in a way. But what you said it, uh, is something you mentioned that will also is a big part of this is the consumer. And I don't think we have the consumer anymore for, for the kind of artistic fashion. Where did this consumer go? That to me is a huge problem that no one in our industry is speaking about. And, and I think that's, and that's on fashion journalists. They really, that's on us. We need to step up and say, Where's the consumer for this? Look who's consuming this stuff. Where's the consumer? You know, where are the artists, the musicians, the gallery owners? Where are the club kids? You know, where where are the people who should be wearing this stuff? And I don't know, maybe they can simply can't afford this stuff anymore. You know, but we the the, this, the luxury fashion has gone from the sort of. Uh, you know, culturally aware consumer to a mass market where, where I feel like people don't really care for design. You know, they want something familiar and something that signals status. And I hate to say it, but without the audience, designers can produce like the most incredible things in the world and go out of business. We've seen that in the 90s and in 2000s, we've seen the second wave of Belgian designers that was incredible, you know, with Angela Figos and Jurgi Persoons and whatnot. And, you know, there was not enough audience for them. And, and, and that's, and I don't know if that's also announced, but I tried certainly, and I feel like you do too, to, to expose our audience to great design and say like, look, this exists, you, you, you know, put your money into that instead of a logo T-shirt. Well, in a way, I feel that there are still uh, brands out there that uh, have these values and defend them. And, you know, if we go back to Rick again, uh, yeah. who, who comes from the 90s, by the way, you know, so sure. he comes from that era. Um, I think if you look at the evolution of his brand, you know, how he went from that sort of dark, tag, you know, to mm -hmm. something much more, uh, in a way, uh, varied and much more uh, diverse, I guess, in his vision. And also how he managed to build a niche, but a niche that is quite powerful commercially. I don't see any contradiction between um, 
talking to an educated audience and offering complex clothes and making money and having a business, you know, I think mm -hmm. it's just like with Rick, you also have so many different lines, just like Comme des yeah. Garçons, just like Comme des Garçons, sure. you know, so you can really enter the brand from different various angles if you want. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. but the vision, you know, the purity of his vision remains intact. And yeah. I, and I think there will always be a consumer for this. There will always be somebody who appreciates that vision and who wants to to take part who wants to join in i really believe that and then yeah. it, and then it's a little bit okay like how how can we join in you know right. how can we how can we get in so to speak but i don't know i feel like a, a great designer is somebody also that can infuse everything they do with their own soul you know and mm -hmm. their, their own taste and that's what i feel with rick whatever he touches become his you know yeah and, yeah. and, and that kind of power uh is something that is not going to go away i think yeah 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 i really i hope not i i just feel like uh it will be diminished you know and and diminished by the mass phenomenon that luxury fashion has become and and that to me that's why like i almost feel like rick is almost like an a, a, a should be a protected species in fashion <laughs> <laughs> you know <laughs> like like <laughs> should put him in a wild refuge and say like do not touch you know precious objects but you know i i also feel that the reason why we're having this discussion now is that the fashion system has also become incredibly cynical you know, and that's another reality uh, which we didn't used to experience before, uh, talking about, you know, those times. But, for example, like if you look at Vetements, you know, and how yeah. the brand was launched right when Galliano was hired by Margiela and how they sort of, you know, made us believe in a way that you could be an independent brand, that you could challenge things, you could thrive. Because when I first discovered them, I went to their presentations, I went to their shows, mm -hmm. and I was very excited. I was like, wow, this yeah. is this is delivering, mm -hmm. you know, a very positive message to all the young designers out there. Yeah. And then when uh, Demna was hired to go to Balenciaga, I was like, okay, so that was it, you know, that was the whole strategy. Yeah. And... And then when you see what the brand itself, Vetement, became and what they mm -hmm. were selling, I, I couldn't help but think that the whole thing was just cynical, you know, and just laughing at the consumer, you know, and getting away with it. And the press yeah. and the press and retailers were just embracing that, not even thinking, just jumping on whatever, mm -hmm. the, you know, whatever was trendy because they were desperate of being out of sync with what was going on. And that shows a little bit the cynicism, you know, of some of yeah. these brands that yeah. that that know that they can exploit that weak moment that we mm -hmm. are living, that they can ex that they can exploit that sort of um, erosion of values and and become successful that way. But that's very dangerous for fashion. That's what Absolutely. I want to say. You know, it really, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it threatens fashion as we know it and as we value it you know yeah and i think Demna transferred that cynicism into balenciaga you know i i, I looked at the i look at every balenciaga collection and for me the most troubling thing that no one wants to talk about no one is that his hijacking of really the clothes that the poor wear or lower middle class immigrants and 
dishing them back out for insane prices for the consumption of the upper middle class or whoever buys his stuff. To me, that is the most cynical thing. And hiding behind these words like revolution and whatnot, when you're peddling luxury goods that aren't even luxury except for their price tags. Yeah, I mean, in most of it, if you, you know, most of the, the actual produced goods from that brand have no design whatsoever. I mean, that's, yeah. you know, you might, you may see something in, in his collections on the runway that looks interesting, like a shape of a jacket or a coat or a dress. But, you know, uh, what people really sell at the end of the day, and that's what you were saying at the beginning about uh, this kind of standardization of fashion and how everything is becoming so, so boring is that, you know, if you walk into a department store today, you can't tell the difference between, you know, a Givenchy sweatshirt, a Balmain pair of jeans and a Balenciaga uh, hoodie, whatever, you know, it's all interchangeable, as you said before. And there's no real design feature that distinguishes uh, such items. And I find that very problematic as well. Because, Mm -hmm. you know, again, it's what I was saying uh, to you earlier on, that the language of fashion is poor. You know, it's become very poor and we, we are used to a richer language. So for us, it's very difficult to actually (laughs) accept that. (laughs) Sure, sure. So uh, the the problem is... And we're accused of being elitist. (laughs) Yeah, well, yeah, of course. But, you know... And I'm like, that's fine. What what are we... Yeah, if that's, if that's what being elitist uh, means, then I'm totally, I'm fine with that. I don't care. Exactly. But exactly. okay, the, the question is, what are we going to do with this? You know, what, what are we, how are we going to change it? How are we going to try to preserve this idea of fashion as, a, as an exciting, uh, substantial and deep language? You know, what, what are we going mm-hmm. to do to protect that? And I feel personally that, that we have let too many people in for the wrong reasons, you know, and oh, that, yeah. and that fashion has opened itself to people who basically didn't have that kind of appreciation of the craft mm-hmm. and just got in for whatever narcissistic reasons they wanted to get in. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, that's also our mistake. I mean, we, we made that mistake, you know, and, and now we have to live with it. Yeah. But it's a, you know, we, we, it the big conglomerates, they, 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 you know, they are operate by logic of capitalism. So they're going to get people with the most Instagram following, hmm. with the most hype, and they're going to like let them work for them and sell this logoed garbage to the masses. And so that that's that's what they're going to do. I mean, look at Virgil with Louis Vuitton. Like, look at them signing up Rihanna <clears throat> to do a line and whatnot. And you're absolutely right, but. I honestly feel like these people don't care about fashion in the first place. You know, I think no. like if Bernard Arnault like could sell like detergent tomorrow and make more money, he would. Yeah. You know, and and that's where we are. You know, but um, on a different note, I I know we've had some um, disagreements about this season, so let's get into those. <laughs> yes, let's do that. <laughs> uh, Prada with Ruff first collection what did you think well um to be honest with you i didn't really expect much Hmm. because i felt quite um disillusioned 
that such a strong voice as Prada felt the need uh, to collaborate with somebody else. That's something, first of all, that I couldn't really understand. And also when I, when I saw the collection, uh, I call it Prada light. So for me, it's really, you know, <laughs> it's, it's sort of diluting the, the complexities and the subversive nature of, of what Prada stands for. And also, uh, the, the issue I have with Raf doing women's wear specifically is that I feel that his women don't really have any kind of sexuality that he, mm -hmm. he sort of removes the sexuality out of them. I don't know why, and I'm not sure how, but I see that. And I think that's very problematic when it comes to Prada because it's an Italian brand and Mucha Prada always dealt with uh, female desires, sexuality, uh, you know, things, fantasies, things like that. That was always a big part of her work, the female, mm -hmm. the female psyche, you know, and, uh, I don't know if Raf can get there. And at, for me, I don't know if it's satisfactory enough as a, as a collaboration. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, uh, so I felt exactly the same way when it was announced. And I thought like, okay, that's like two cooks in the same kitchen. <laughs> that's like, <laughs> you know, maybe they'll just end up setting it on fire, which I still have a feeling is going to happen, but okay. Um, but I was pleasantly surprised by the collection. What, and, did, what did you like about it? Uh, so what I liked is that there was a level of modernity in it in a way that I thought Ralph's input was that, you know, we had this classical Prada silhouette, you know, the sexy librarian, you, you know, you got the little tiny sweater on top and then the sort of, the A-line long skirt. And I thought, and I don't know if it's Ralph's contribution or not. It's hard to say, you know, but, but it became like more sculptural, a little cleaner. Uh, you know, the fabrics showed that. And you had these little, you know, the holes, which, okay, we've seen before. But I, I, I thought it did add a little touch of modernity to that. And I thought, hmm, okay. That's kind of cool. And I also liked, and I can't believe I'm saying this, <laughs> but I kind of, I, but I like that uh, the way they played with the logo and they did something clever. They presented the terms on which the collection should be judged very clearly in the conversation after, mm -hmm. which in a way, it was kind of sly because they're like, well, we're not going to give you too much room for interpretation. You know, this this is what the collection is about. So I thought, OK, it's only fair to judge it by the parameters they asked us to judge by. And that was a success where a logo no longer becomes a logo, for example, but a design element in itself. Like, OK, what can we do to the logo to make it a design element? And I thought that worked because at first I had the same reaction. I was like, come on again, logo in every single fucking outfit. Like how many times But do we have to see that? But then it started transforming in a way. And I thought like, okay, I can get behind that. And now, okay, I don't know if my reaction comes from the same place actually as your completely different reaction where I, like you, I wasn't expecting much. 
I think what you're saying about the modernity and how you felt that it was um, in a way fresher and it sort of uh, maybe um, offered us a version of Prada which you found more relevant, that kind of uh, freshness to me is in a way um, taking all the opulence that Prada is famous for. And I think Prada was always an opulent brand, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, Mucha Prada loves embellishment. She loves decoration. She loves um, contrasting materials and things like that and prints, all these things that are very, very rich in a way. And I feel that with Raf, you, you're getting this kind of puritanical treatment of a brand. Yeah. Yes. And it's very monastic. It's very austere. And mm-hmm. I it might fit our times. Okay, fair enough. You know, it might be a, a an appropriate answer to what's going on right now with, with COVID-19, sure, you know. Yeah. But at the same time, for me, it's a little bit too simplistic. And I think mm-hmm. what, what I love about Prada as a woman is all her contradictions, you know, all the complexities, uh, all that paradox that sort of uh, is inherent in the brand. And I feel that we're rough, we're going to lose that kind of subtlety, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that. Well, I agree with you that, you know, rough and sex don't mix. No, never. <laughs> we, we never. <laughs> especially, especially at Dior, because the couture, the couture for me was quite scary that way, because, mm-hmm. you know, obviously, demonstrated that he had an issue with female curves like he just couldn't go there you know and yeah, I, I yeah. think that's that's a, i mean he's launching women's wear now so i mean okay you know let's see let's see how that goes for his own label for his own label yes he is Ooh. yeah okay so but so there's there's obviously something about him and it could be the calvin episode that you know um he just wants to uh, have some sort of like, you know, creative revenge somewhere else. I don't know. <laughs> right. um, and actually some of the things that he did for Calvin, uh, ironically, I liked. But at the mm-hmm. same time, I don't think it was right for that brand. That's just what it yeah. is. You know, it just wasn't yeah. going to speak to the, the kind of American customer or the department no. store customer that the brand was catering for. So, you know, that was obviously a bit of a fail. But okay, yeah. I, I think, of course, Raf has a very strong vision. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, the other thing is that this whole idea of another designer coming in and curating another brand, blah, blah, blah. Um, I, I just don't get it. I'm like, come on, you know, just like hire yeah. somebody on your design team that's better. Or, you know, uh, I don't know. I just, does it ever work? I mean, did it work with Anne, for example, when she left, you know, and... No. Other, other designers came in and there were all these different voices in the collections. You know, mm-hmm. it sort of makes everything weaker. And that's what I yeah. have a, a problem with. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, again, I, I thought it's the same way. And I thought like, okay, this is a one APR move when it was announced because ooh, news, right? Keep the brand relevant. And two, I thought it was kind of, uh, well, we're going to go out. We're going to go after this like high beast millennial consumer that everyone else seems to be going after because mm-hmm. they know Ralph. They kind of don't know anything except that there is Ralph. But okay, so we're going to bring Ralph to give Prada relevance in that regard. And I also thought, well, you don't need to do that. And especially Prada has seemed to have this bit of resurgence with coming back out with all this like black nylon and stuff that you saw all over the place. I mean, what I find very strange, Eugene, is that in the late 90s, 
Prada was in fact the first brand to do sports, you know, sportswear. Yes. And when they, I remember like when they did Prada Sport, everybody wanted those sneakers, the Velcro sneakers, know. you know, they were like an obsession for like anybody. Yeah. Uh, it was like Jill Sander at the time, you know, Jill Sander jeans. That was like the kind of urban uniform for the stylish and the fashion conscious. But how, how did they kind of like, uh, how did they, um, not realize with Gucci, you know, Balenciaga, the, the kind of triple uh, S, all these sneakers, how did they not realize that, you know, they were the first ones to do that? And I feel mm -hmm. that they jumped on that bandwagon too late, you know? So, yeah. for, so for that kind of young consumer, it was already kind of over by the time they started to do it themselves. And, mm -hmm. I, and I don't understand what happened there because, you know, they were the first ones to make sportswear really fashionable and trendy and edgy. And yet now they're looking more like followers to me, you know? And, yeah. and also when I saw a hoodie uh, on the roadway, uh, you know, the Ralph Pratt, when I saw a hoodie, I was like, okay, for me, it's, it's done. It's over. <laughs> it's over. You know? I mean, that's really, that's not what I want to see today in 2020 yeah. on a runway, an oversized hoodie printed. No. Yeah. Yeah. That. Yeah, it, it is funny. You know, in, in general, I agree with you. I'm like, okay, I, this is the last thing I want to see is a hoodie on the runway. Uh, for some reason, I thought, I was like, well, it kind of works in this particular outfit. And I don't know what it was. I think it was a combination of everything was very formal below it. And then they just threw it on. It sort of reminded me of like Dutch magazine circle, like 2001, you know, remember <laughs> it, like, Put like dirty, like dirty Stan Smiths, like and you know with the couture dress. Uh, but I know exactly what you said. I had the exact, I had the same reaction. Like, like I said at the Valentina show and whatnot. I'm like, please, no more of that garbage. Like, wear it in the street is great. A hoodie is an iconic, you know, garment. Understand, but yeah, just, just don't. There's no need to give that anymore. And uh, so. No hoodies at Alex at uh, at the Givenchy actually. No, a lot of hardware, a lot of metal. A lot of hardware. Yeah. So, what did you think? I know you you mentioned it a bit before, but it doesn't seem you were impressed with that either. I don't think many people were particularly impressed with that show. I mean, mm -hmm. it was or that collection. Um, if for me, uh, the focus was really on the, on the accessories, you know. So yeah. uh, I'm sure some of some of these bags are quite new or exciting, or the way they are made is, is special. And also, some of the footwear looked quite creative. But that's mm -hmm. also something that he's done for his own brand. So that technical yeah. aspect. But when you look at the actual clothing, I didn't really understand what it was about, and I, I don't. I still don't know how. It relates to Givenchy either, you know? Yes. Well, it was very Helmut Lang, wasn't it? Yeah, it was kind of like the 90s, you know? And uh, and Lotta is styling it, and Lotta is obsessed with the 90s. So, you know, you can see that there are sort of links, uh, you know, between that. And, uh, and in a way, I don't know if you feel the same, but I think what they're trying to do, but maybe I'm wrong, is to directly compete with, with Balenciaga. Hmm. Because I felt the same happened when uh, Edith Sliman was hired uh, to do Céline. They were really targeting the Saint Laurent uh, customer. Yeah. And I have the feeling that this is a little bit the same story because, you know, they're rival groups. 
Uh, mm -hmm. Lotta used to work with Demna, so it's kind of funny that now she's working for Givenchy. And right. also, you know, they're they're kind of targeting the same same client. So uh, I'm interested to see how this is going to develop yeah, in the yeah. future. I wonder if, you know, Matthew's a big fan of Helmet, and, and we know that. And Matthew does, to his credit, he doesn't hide, you know, he's he's not a formally trained fashion designer, um, but he is a true fashion fan, a true product fan, and he is obsessive about, you know, materials and construction methods. And he knows the history through being a fan. And that's appealing to me because I kind of come from the same, you know, I was a fan before I became a <laughs> professional. And, <clears throat> you know, I, to, to his credit, I do think Matthew is like from that Kanye West entourage I think he's like, you know, head and shoulders above Virgil or Heron Preston in terms of what he's been able to do for Alix. You know, there, there is real, you can see the obsession there. Yeah. And I've been hoping, and I still hope he will bring that to Givenchy, you know, and I hope that's what Givenchy hired him for and not for his Instagram following. But um, I wonder if the AZ is there, like, well, Vitman did that for Margiela. Let's see maybe if we can do that with Helmut. And because, you know, there is this obsession with vintage Helmut Lang. Yeah. We know that. And there were absolutely nods. I mean, like, you know, the leather briefs, that's a Helmut Lang replica, basically. He, yeah. he did. I don't think people know that, but people should know that. You know, that's a Helmut Lang piece. It, that they replicated, which I actually don't mind. I've kind of, you know, we talk about copying a lot, but I do like the idea, like, if you have the means to bring something back and do it well, kind of, why not do that? Like, it would be great if people did it like Margiela did by putting a replica thing on it, but, but why not? So, yeah, that's where, so I had mixed feelings about the Givenchy uh, presentation collection at first i said oh i see what you're doing and i yeah I'm like okay i can get behind i can get behind that beggars can't be choosers <laughs> and mm -hmm. i feel like that's where we at and the second time i looked at it i liked it a bit less so i'm kind of on the fence i'm kind of in a wait and see mode I think it's very smart to go back to helmut and i think in terms of timing uh it could be like a very good reference point for sure, you know, because of the simplicity, the stark language, and also the, the kind of sexy, uh, you know, presence of, uh, of what he did. But the way that it's been done in Givenchy feels more brash to me. It's a bit, mm -hmm. it's a bit more vulgar, you know, and um, yeah. I don't think Helmut stood for that. I think Helmut no. still had a, a subtlety and a, an intellectualism that made the brand uh, what it was. Yeah. But uh, okay, there are like direct references to his work, but that's not going to be enough to, to be relevant for today. And I also feel that, you know, we have to be a bit careful with what's kind of sexy and the chains and all that stuff i mean that to mm -hmm. me feels for now feels it doesn't feel so appropriate with what's going on you know so there's also a little bit of a 
yeah, ga- right. gap here between what we, uh, some of it also reminded me of like, uh, uh, Stella McCartney at Chloe or, you know, things like that, like things I don't mm-hmm. really want, I don't really want to think about, you know? So, <laughs> yeah. uh, yeah. yeah, it was this kind of like, yeah, early 2000, you know, like naughty girl a little bit, mm-hmm. you know? And I was mm-hmm. like, okay, this is not so much like nineties yeah, yeah, yeah. Helmut anymore. It's like going into a different kind of territory. Yeah. So yeah, I can totally see that Helmut only looks easy on the surface. But it's actually his sensibility is very hard to implicate and it's exactly to uh, to imitate. And it's exactly because of the subtlety that you talk about. Mm -hmm. There is always kink with Helmut, but it was cerebral. It wasn't in your face. Yeah, it's to really look for it. It's elevated, you know, it's and also I feel very much like Mucha Prada, I feel that there's a perversion there. And by perversion, I mean that it's always twisted. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's a little bit tortured. It's not like straightforward. It's not literal first degree. Uh, it's always something that requires a bit more thinking behind it, you know. And going back to uh, to fashion today, uh, it's very difficult to to come up with that kind of language, which is about subtlety and which is about complexity, because most people do not seem to be ready for that. And I don't know if, you know, if it's about the consumer, if it's about the press, if it's about us or, you know, Instagram, I don't know, but this idea, I think it's the latter. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Subtlety does not translate well on the phone screen. No, no, no. And that (laughs) that is, that is like a huge problem. And I think that's something also we've been talking about before, you know, it's the idea of nuance and the idea of, of subtlety and something intelligent. And, uh, yeah, when you talk about these things, sometimes it feels like preaching, uh, in the desert, you know, it's really like, uh, I mean, who understands that today, who values that, and, uh, okay, I see some designers that still do that in a way, but um, I think this kind of perversity, this creative perversity is really important for fashion. And I think it makes yeah. it very enjoyable. Yeah. Absolutely. And and actually the big reason for that, if we don't have that, and that's what I think what luxury conglomerates don't understand, that if we don't have greatness from the industry as a whole, the luxury conglomerates are going to be dead too because they are part of fashion industry, whether they like it or not. And if people are not uh, concerned with fashion, like you said before, like young people are less and less concerned. And maybe it's because it's become so goddamn mediocre overall. Hmm. And that's what they need to realize. And that's why they need to unfetter cre- real creative potential, not the fucking Virgil Abloh's of this world, but real creators who will give people theater and excitement and ideas, something worth thinking about. Because guess what? You're part of the industry too. Yeah, and I don't know if you saw today that uh, Glenn Martins has been appointed uh, new creative director of Diesel. And I'd be curious yeah. I'd be curious to know what you think about that because, you know, I... I you like Glenn's work or you don't like it, but I felt it was a bit of a shame in a way that um, he wouldn't be at Givenchy today, for instance, you know, because I think if we talk about couture and if we talk about somebody who appreciates craftsmanship and who really does research around his collections, then Glenn is a good illustration of that. So, you know, how do you feel about that, the diesel thing? 
so why project has been a topic I've long wanted to bring up with you and a little <laughs> afraid to be honest because um, I am so not into it, but we'll we'll discuss it in a second because it's a great debate to have. Uh, I do think it's a shame that he's going to dis- diesel mm-hmm. and I think absolutely his talent will be wasted there. Mm-hmm. It was like the same thing when like Aerothrope went to G-Star. <laughs> I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> you know, there isn't, I mean, okay, a boy has to eat. I understand that. Like we all have to pay rent and stuff, but you know what's going to happen there. This- yeah. I, I don't really, I don't really, I don't really know what it's about. To be honest, when I found out this morning, I was, I was kind of shocked, and you know, I really respect Glenn, and uh, I think he's a great designer. But I, from Diesel's side, I didn't really understand what the intention is. That's what is not clear to me. Uh, you know, if it's like a buzz thing, they just want to make diesel trendier or they want to elevate it or they want to appeal to a more fashion customer i don't know i I really i really don't know that brand they need to revitalize and they're going to try to do it with glenn who is a real designer there is no question there no okay well let's get into that we you know uh so i do think glenn is a real designer and he is a truly talented designer. And you can see that in the clothes. There is no question. You can see that the clothes have been thought through. Mm-hmm. And that to me is the design is most pu- in its most pure sense. You know, um, what I haven't liked, and to be honest, I just looked at it because we were going to speak. So I was like, oh, let me go see this collection. And it's the best collection that I've liked from him so far. And, and and I know exactly the reason. This is the furthest he's gotten away from this whole Vetmon mess that where he started with Y Project. And that's what I did. Well, that's what I did not like about it. That he did the same kind of there was the same kind of sleaze uh in it that I actually am supposed to like, that I usually like, you know, I love it with Rick and I, but it was like too overwrought. It was like way too overwrought. This kind of ugly chic was like way too in your face. This uh, like, you know, washed horrible blue denim that I just can't stand. So all of that, I was just like, you know, and, I wrote about it like I was reviewing the Pizzi Uomo show he did, mm-hmm. which I thought like that was a man, beautiful that was you. a beautiful show I thought yeah well again I felt I felt like the opposite I was like I just it's just so overwrought mm-hmm. what I saw today was like now that he's tackling tailoring his talent for me really is shining through. Where I'm like, ah, see, like, that's what I've been waiting for, you know, and I wish he would do more of that. I, I wish he would get away from this whole ironic hipster chic that's like smack too much of Batman to me and go in that direction because he's absolutely capable. of. But, you, you know, and there were, there were still these elements where I was like, no, you don't need those like flames on uh, 
pants. Like, just get get rid of that. Like, do, do, you know, do something that's a little less on the nose. I can understand up to a certain extent, but I think, I don't know if you've ever gone to his showroom to look at the clothes for a Reese, but no. uh, it really helps when you see the collection spread out on the hangers and you look at each piece individually. And what I really respect is how much work he puts into every single garment. And um, yeah. everything has, uh, has a complexity. Everything has mm -hmm. interesting details, uh, something that's yeah. unexpected. He, it's very playful. So the clothes are very, you know, you can also wear them in different ways. So it gives you that kind of interchangeable thing. Yeah. But um, I can understand that, you know, you might look at it and feel that it's a bit uh, over style sometimes. Okay, I see that. Mm -hmm. But uh, going back to this moment in Florence, I felt that the show was, for me, was really beautiful and quite emotional. Mm -hmm. uh, because, you know, he involved us, the audience, in a way that was very proactive. And we had to light the show ourselves. Mm -hmm. So he was really telling right, us, okay, yeah. in a way, it was like saying it's up to you. To, mm -hmm. to, to make fashion that good or to, or to bring us the light or, you know, to showcase. Yeah. Well, so in a way, it's kind of like, it's not so clever, you know, the way that he, uh, he thinks about it. And um, uh, yeah, I'm very curious to see what, uh, what Diesel uh, uses him for because I, I, yeah. I'm, right now I'm not really sure what the strategy is about. Yeah, yeah. Well, We'll we'll find out one way, one way or the other, but I hope he'll be able to put his talents to good use because I, I do love denim and actually the one denim look in this collection was fantastic. Like it was this mm -hmm. denim dress that I thought was great, and I think you could do great things with denim. And I and I wonder where which direction he will take it. But, uh, what else did you love this season? What were your top three, four, not, five? Not, <laughs> not, not much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Except Rick. Well, I'm getting, as I said earlier, I'm getting increasingly more into the, the vision of John Galliano at Margiela because, mm -hmm. um, again, that's something that you probably find quite hard to process and it is very difficult to process. Sure, sure. Uh, but I start to see how he really sort of... Um, in a way, he communicates with Margiela and he's sort of exchanging with Margiela on this kind of almost subliminal level. And the collections have really been about this dialogue. And now I see it really clearly, you know, mm -hmm. whereas at the start, I felt that it was too Galliano and it was too, yeah. you know, it was too much sort of uh, going back to what we know him for. But now I really see that he's taken the house into account. He's taken mm -hmm. the, the heritage into account. And I think the clothes are, are fantastic. I think they're actually designed. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's real design. Oh, yeah. So you, yeah. you, you like it or you don't like it. Um, at the same time, you cannot argue that there hasn't been any mm -hmm. work, you know? So they're very, mm -hmm. they're, they're very sort of elaborate clothes. And suddenly. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Suddenly that kind of uh, mm -hmm. approach towards clothes looks quite fresh and looks quite uh, promising, you know? So I. Um, I'm really into what he does. And I thought the documentary, I don't know if you got to, to watch it, but that was really... Not yet. Okay. Well, you should watch it because it's, it, it's kind of like a trip into his imagination. Mm -hmm. uh, 
And, you know, there's always like this, this storytelling aspect that everybody now talks about telling brands, yeah, you need storytelling, you need storytelling. <laughs> but, <laughs> right, you know, right, yeah. but with Galliano, it's so much a part of himself and it's so much yeah. a part of his voice that uh, you are really taken on to this like crazy, crazy journey. And uh, yeah, it's really exciting to watch it and how how he uh, he talks to the models and how they start mm-hmm. to, they start to become invested with the collection and his vision i think that kind of energy is is really exciting to to look at you know so and apparently he said that he was very happy with this kind of format so you know he might do more of that and not go for the traditional runway show which i think is great because you need to find what suits you and you know maybe that's another topic of discussion but you know we don't need to do fashion shows to express what a collection is about. There are other ways, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I liked it too. I, I liked the first part of the collection better. Um, I, I thought those deconstructed jack- jackets were incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, Galliano is an immense talent. You just can't take that away from him. Just, yeah. you know. Uh, by the end, it was a little bit like too Galliano for me, you know, with like, you know, with the tank top and the cap and, the, you know, the little tie. Uh, but hey, you can't take that from him either because he is who he is and he has his own vision and it's very powerful. Kind of a very different vision from Margelli was, again, like you said, mm-hmm. like you implied, it was a big surprise that he went there. But I think the clothes are great. Again, like I could do with all the like commercial garbage. You know, remember that like Margiela emblazoned logo <laughs> t-shirt? <laughs> was like, how did that <laughs> happen? Yeah, true. But what Galeana puts out on the runway, yeah, I'm behind that. Like I can't I can't argue with that. Yeah, because when I when I look at these clothes, you know, I really believe that uh these are the kind of clothes that museums will buy and that collectors mm-hmm. will have in their in their closets because um uh, you know as i i, I was like uh, recently uh, watching this um live panel discussion uh, from show studio and uh, and this this guy said uh, well it was talking about dior maria grazia and he said commerciality doesn't make history and I'm I'm sort of obsessed with that sentence, you know, because mm-hmm. I've been really thinking about that. And at the end of the day, most of the times it is true that the most uh, eccentric, extravagant, uh, conceptual, overt statements in fashion are the ones that are worth remembering. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and that's how I feel when I look at Dior and when I look at uh, other brands like that. It's just so, yeah. uh, I don't know, it's just so disheartening and it's just so it's like zara for you know it's, yeah, it's just yeah. like i from, listen no one's going to remember maria churis grass's <laughs> tenure at yes. or like let's face it well, everyone yeah. knows this but that's that that's exactly the point it's like you know who are we going to remember and uh, and when i saw rick's show i was like wow this guy is really making his yeah. stamp into fashion history like in a big way you know because people will remember that he put masks on the models and they will remember that he showed in Venice and not in Paris. And in 20 years time, that will be very significant because again, the very positive thing about, about Rick's show 
was that, you know, Rick could be anywhere. It could be like any part of the world. He's going to Owens it his own way. He's going to turn it into his own world. And that's, yeah. that's really exciting. And I think that opens exactly. up possibilities for fashion to be different. Uh, but I think that him showing in Venice was brilliant. You know, also choosing that location and not being in Paris, that also sent out a powerful message to the industry, yeah. I think. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. What else did you like? Give me another one. Are <laughs> <laughs> we done with two? <laughs> like, <laughs> well, I'll tell yeah. you who I who I think who I think is uh, is being very creative, especially in the way that um, he presents his work. It's uh, it's Jonathan Anderson, you know, mm -hmm. for for yes. his for his own brand and also for Lueve. But uh, he came out, you know, with this uh, show in the box. Uh, yeah. ob object which is incredibly crafted and beautiful you know so i thought that was really and i like how he talks about his work and i like how he communicates uh, about the clothes and i think he's a very interesting one because he managed to create a very strong brand but at the same time it's hard to pin it down to you know uh, certain signatures it's more of a feeling right. it's more of a feeling and also it's more of the way that he interprets what's going on so i felt that this this um this box that you have time for yourself to experience that you can play with and that you know you can uh look at for hours and imagine things or or, or uh, you know just change it in different ways i think that's also a very exciting way to talk about fashion and to present fashion so i think yeah. he is um is one who's really embracing that and i think he the way he reacted to the pandemic was was very creative. And I think he's mm -hmm. rising up to that challenge as well. So uh, I thought, yeah, it was, uh, you know, I wouldn't say it was his most exciting collection, but right. I think the way he handled this whole show question with his, yeah. his tools and his objects, I found that very, very exciting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I agree there. I agree. Um, I loved, besides Rick, of course, um, I really loved the Soloist collection. I don't know if you got a chance to look at it. I haven't, I haven't seen it yet, no. Yeah. There was, well, first of all, like, you know, when you do a collection based on uh, the movie Seven, for me, I'm like, okay, you can send down 20 <laughs> naked models down the runway and just say it was based on Seven. <laughs> and I'll probably yeah. like it. You'll be happy. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, but it was, uh, it was, you know, the way Taka has been designing, again, like just the complexity of the garments mm -hmm. and the way he's able to imbue different references into them and filter them through his own lens and make these incredibly complex clothes you know, which are technically menswear, even though he's been talking about, like, I want this to be for everyone. And I've been trying to get away from the men's silhouette and make it a little bit more amorphous. But that was that was just fantastic to me. You know, and the way he plays. I mean, here's a guy who creates new garments mm -hmm. in 2020. Yeah. And that, to me, is incredibly hot right now. You know, and he's another true auteur. So that really spoke to me. And uh, I thought it was a very powerful collection, you know, from the images to, to the video. 
And I thought it was incredibly shameful that, you know, they send the images of the front and the back to everyone and Vogue took out all the images of the back. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought, like, what are you guys doing? You know, the back is as important as the front. As the front, yeah. Um, So I love that. And I really love Dries' collection. Okay. There was something very sensual about it. And there was a kind of a quiet sensuality where it was like, it was not an escape, but there was like a place of assured quietude that I really appealed to me. Okay. You know, where it was like, well, we're going to just do our thing right here and we're going to make it really beautiful and sensual and leave it at that. I think that I felt that last season his show last season was totally escapist, the kind of 80s pile up the sequence show. And that didn't really touch me uh, that much, to Mm -hmm. be honest. This one, I I really like the photography of Vivian Sasson. I think she's one of the best uh, best photographers around now. But I have to say the collection did not move me the way some of uh, Dries von Norton's past work has moved me. And I think it's a little bit because I feel that he's trying to attract a generation that's, you know, very much uh, depending on social media. So he really mm-hmm. goes for like something like a bang, you know, like something that really attracts you straight away. And I'm missing a little bit his sort of minimal side, you know, because he also has with the tailoring and with uh, his coats, his beautiful coats and things like that. It yeah. can also be a bit more pared down. And I mm-hmm. feel that at the moment, it's like more is more, you know, and that he's really going for that. But it takes yeah. a, takes away some of the poetry that I used to feel in his work before. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Okay. It's, it's interesting. It's fascinating that you say that because I've always felt that Dries is like one designer who is who knows his audience very well and is not concerned, you know, he's not reading like business of fashion every day, like mm, millennial consumer, like, <laughs> we got, you know, I feel like he knows his audience and that's what he caters to. And the millennials are coming. It's funny. Like I, you know, like you look at like high snobody, audi- high snobody audience, they know who Dries is, you know, like they buy the menswear and it's kind of fascinating to me. But it's mostly the menswear, as you say, because, you know, we, we discussed this with him before. He, he has that kind of young, cool menswear client, but he doesn't really have the women's wear equivalent. And that's a challenge, mm-hmm. you know. So I think he's, yeah. he's trying to bring in a younger female client as well. And also, you have to remember that now he's not independent anymore, you know. So he has yeah. other people involved in the brand with, you know, their kind of vision or their kind of ideas or their wishes for what he's going to do in the future. So I, I feel a change. Uh, and I feel that it's very sort of like producty now. I mean, you know, the last mm-hmm. winter show, there was like a lot of stuff on the models and a lot of product. And again, I feel that that's not really what we're going to be craving in the future, you know? So right. it's a, yeah. I mean, I feel that when there are collections, again, like Givenchy, where you're piling up accessories to, you know, impress me, it, it doesn't really do it for yeah. me. And I, and I just think it's a bit clumsy right. 
it's a bit clumsy with what's going on right now mm -hmm. as simple as that mm -hmm. you know yeah 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 uh things you really hated <laughs> <laughs> let's let, let's limit to three because otherwise we're going to be here all day <laughs> Well, I mean, Dior for me was like really, I mean, I'm getting to this point oh where, yeah, I'm just, and I know that, you know, it is selling like hell. I know that. And, um, and that's maybe why she's still there, but, uh, I'm really, I just cannot handle how, how sad it is. I mean, it's really, you know, uh, yeah. everything, just the lack of, the lack of inspiration, the lack of, uh, of reality also in the clothes and that it's just an elevated version of the high street. You know, it's really depressing. I mean, for what, yeah. for what Dior stands for, um, it's just clothing, you know, and for me, it can never be fashion. It's just clothes, yeah. you know, and, and the same for, so bad. yeah, really bad. And it's the same for, for Isabelle Marron. I mean, I don't understand how she became so huge. I mean, when she started at the beginning, and that's what's quite funny, uh, she was quite rebellious when she started. And she was really mm -hmm. a, a bit of a boho, almost like a boho romantic Margiela type, you know, at the beginning. And then it sort of became this like massive brand, you know, that everybody, yeah. everybody was buying into. And and uh, again, you know, as a show proposal, it's just so boring and it's so dull. And um, this, I don't even understand why she makes shows. I mean, there's no need. There's no need to, to do a show. And uh, these are the kind of brands that irritate me because I feel yeah. that, you know, they, she still did a show this season, which I thought was really insensitive. <laughs> yeah, which was really, really insensitive. <laughs> Yeah, uh, a kind of a waste of money, you right? Like, why yeah, are you doing same show? location, <laughs> same location, same models, like you know, same excess, same color, whatever. But that was kind of like, yeah, not you know, nothing is uh, nothing is nothing has changed. You know, business as usual. Mm -hmm. That's kind of what it felt like. And I have to say, maybe the last one that depressed me was Chanel. Oh my God, that's on my list too. That's on my short list. I'm like, okay, I thought like it couldn't get any worse like with last collections of Lagerfeld, but it really can. <laughs> I was kind of like, well, I miss Lagerfeld. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what's really what's really missing. And I think that's going to answer, answer that question. It's sense of humor. I mean, there is no sense of humor in what she does. And, you know, of course, the clothes are, are well made. Of course, it's, uh, it makes our customers happy, etc. But where's the humor? You know, where's the like tongue in cheek, mm -hmm. ironic, you know, fun part? It's not fun. You know, it's not. And, and that kind of like frivolous, um, carefree uh, mood was something that Lagerfeld could do really well, you know, despite being very cultured, very intelligent, very yeah. knowledgeable, he could still indulge in the, in the frivolity of Chanel. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've totally lost that now. I mean, it's become very sort of like insular in a way, because the thing with Lagerfeld is that he was a media figure and, yeah. you know, he was constantly on television. I mean, in France, he was always invited to be on talk shows to give his opinion about society. So he was always engaging with what was going on. Mm -hmm. She doesn't, you know, and I think that also makes Chanel much more static as a brand. Um, yeah. And yeah, the, the humor, again, is, uh, is gone. And I think that's a shame for such an iconic French brand. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I, I mean, it was just... 
so bad. It was like logo on top of logo and the clothes were boring and I just did not see any merit in it. But it speaks, I think, to a larger issue in, uh, you know, something I've written about. I don't know if you read the article for Heist Nobody I did, like, called Do Luxury Fashion, uh, Do Luxury Houses Need Fashion Designers? And yeah. they don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, they need these sort of figureheads who are making product mm-hmm. and who are very, who are the opposite of Lagerfeld. Because Lagerfeld could be a liability. You know? And it is the last, I feel like it's like the last things. Yeah, these companies want, right? Yeah, I totally agree. I think that's precisely what's going on. And, you know, uh, maybe that's something that uh, press people forget, but the consumer doesn't really doesn't really care who the designer is at these huge brands. You know, they, they, they can't be bothered with that. I mean, they just want to have a product that fits uh, whatever requirements uh, they, they have. But, you know, uh, yeah, you're right. And I think in a way, because of that, there's an opportunity for young independent brands to have their voice, uh, mm-hmm. especially when this kind of high-end luxury market is becoming that voiceless, you know? Then yeah. there there is possibility for a younger group to actually impose their own narrative and their own voice. So that's that's quite a good thing. I see that as an opportunity for, for younger brands. Yeah. Yeah. I I really hope so. I just hope they'll have the resources. And I know that's where we come in as journalists. We need to help them. But you know, I do hope they'll have the resources to go up against the system. You know, there's no other way for it. Somebody, somebody, yeah. somebody has to do it. I mean, and yeah. and it, it has become more and more difficult because anything that is creatively valid uh, gets eaten up by the the <laughs> the groups. You know, it's crazy. So fast. It's like, I mean, we so fast. we saw it also with Walter and Virgil. I mean, what was that yeah. all about? You know, and then yeah. and then suddenly you you just cannot criticize him anymore. You know, and it's like <laughs> yeah. poor Virgil. He only works for the most powerful brand in the world. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and it suddenly be, it's turned into this holy, <laughs> you know, this holy figure that no one can can approach. I mean, what is that all about? I, I don't, you know, I don't yeah. get that either. But yeah, it was, of course, it made Walter extremely angry, but I can understand yeah. that. I mean, it's, you know, years and years of work that somebody just rips off in, in a minute. I mean, it's horrible, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, we've talked about this extensively with, with Angelo in the first episode of the podcast. Yes. It's, yeah, it's crazy. Uh, so we agree on two out of three like this. So we're in sync on the things we Tell hate. Tell me, no. I, I, <laughs> I want to know, know what you hate the most. That's what I want to know. Uh, so it was the orange Chanel, just okay. like you said. And my last one was Burberry. Oh, yeah, that's right. I actually totally <laughs> forgot about Burberry. It, it was a forest. It was a forest again. And I was like, don't take me there. I'm not, I don't want to I don't want to go there. But yeah, go on. Tell me about number that. one. And uh, OK, so first thing first, and this is goes for all luxury houses. Anyone who is still doing 100 looks in a show should be shot. Yeah. Like if you can't get your message across in 50 looks and you subject all of us to torture of a hundred looks, like you should like find another job. I don't know. Like this is not okay because you should be able to say that whatever you have to say 
and 50 looks or less. And Burberry has been the prime offender. Tisha is completely lost there, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm sure it's not entirely his fault. I'm sure the management came in and said like, okay, we want the lady who lunches, you yeah. know, we, we, we want the matriarchs, we want the aristocracy, and we want the Chinese high beasts too. Yeah. So go and do that. And I don't know how Wang is supposed to reconcile the two, but you can see that in the shows, like we're going to throw everything at you and see what's, the, you know, we're going to show like a trench coat and then a logo t-shirt in the next look. And so it's a total mess with each show. You know, every show is a mess. And, yeah, and because so as you this. said, it's trying to please too many people. And when you try to please too many people, you have no voice left, you know. Yeah. And and then it's a shame because yeah. at the end of the day, um, I feel that within his own collections and later at Givenchy, he had quite a strong individual voice, you know, and you liked it or you disliked mm-hmm. it. It was yeah. there. And now it's kind of yeah. drowned now in 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 product, you know, I mean, you don't yeah. really, yeah. And it was the same, yeah. by the way, for, uh, for Claire, uh, Wade Keller at Givenchy before, you yes. know, that was, that was like Absolutely. collections entirely made by marketing teams. I mean, totally, totally. you yeah. know, yeah. I mean, I saw some of these shows and I was like, okay, like what, what, like, what am I doing? Here? Yeah. <laughs> what, what, what's the story? I, I couldn't even yeah. get one straight story out of that, yeah. you know, so there was no uh, yeah. story that, but that, unfortunately, yeah, it's the pressure that these designers are under. So you're right by saying that it's it's not his fault at the end of the day, or who knows where the pressure comes from, but yeah. it makes the situation yeah. very difficult in creative terms. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, on that lovely note, <laughs> yes. uh, this was this was great as usual. Thank you, Philippe. It was you know, always a pleasure to talk with you, and I'm sure we're going to do more of these. That'd be great. And, yeah, uh, I really enjoyed yeah. myself, you know, talking to you. Yeah, so. great. Definitely. So we'll uh, uh, thank you for joining me. I, I appreciate it. And until the next time, see you later. <laughs> Bye. All right. You've been listening to the Styles I Guys podcast, hosted by Eugene Rapkin, produced by Patrick Leduc. Intro and outro music by Wesley Isolt of Cold Cave. Please support us on Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash Thank you for listening.